Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this amazing book, for your word, and the ways in which you call us to live for you in such a time as this. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive from you today. We pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we may discern how to live wisely and lovingly uh, in the time and place that you've called us to. And Lord, bless your people, we pray today in your name. Amen. Amen. So we've come to the end of the book. Can you believe it? There we are. We're already there. Chapter 22. Chapter 21, last week we talked about this vision of uh, God's consummation of creation. We have the new heavens and the new earth. We have God dwelling in the midst of his people. We have uh, the new city, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, and uh, the whole area, the whole space has become like the holy of holies. And that's why there's no need for a temple because God is dwelling immediately and directly with his people. And when we get to the end of that uh, chapter, chapter 21, it describes in verses 24 to 26 that the nations are coming. By the light of God, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So we have these nations, uh, the the repentant nations, the nations of the world, and you can note sort of the multi-ethnic nature of this, of God's people. There's, there's the nations coming, the leaders of the nations coming into this new Jerusalem, bringing their unique glory and their unique honor as these unique nations in through the open gates. Uh, there's some wonderful kind of celebration of, of that going on, and of course it reflects all the way back to to God's call to Abraham back in Genesis that through this family you will bring blessing to the nations which is fulfilled in Christ and then Jesus command for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and now here's all the world coming in right this is this is a theme through all of the bible of the whole world being blessed and being kind of brought back together and so here's the nations coming with with their uniquenesses to God and into this new city into this new creation and so you've got a worshiping community coming together being formed and gathered and then it it switches the the uh, kind of the direction shift so we've got the nations coming in at the end of chapter 21 and then the beginning of chapter 22 it says the angel showed me a river of the water of life bright as crystal and it's flowing from the throne of god from the lamb and this river flows right through the middle of the streets of the city and on either side of the river we find something from the Garden of Eden that's now been returned and been restored, and it's the tree of life. And, of course, we've got to remember that in Genesis, God, God bans humanity from access to the tree of life once they enter into rebellion against him, right? God says, while they're in rebellion, we can't have them eating from the tree of life. And so we have to send them out of the garden until we can deal with sin and rebellion and death, right? And that basically the story of the Bible is, is that coming to pass. But now that death and sin have been defeated through the cross of Jesus, now not just one or two people, but now as those nations are coming in, they're being invited back to the tree of life from the first two chapters of Genesis. Isn't that cool? 
And so you're getting what was the bookend at the beginning of the story of the Bible is now coming full circle. And instead of just Adam and Eve sort of at a tree, you've got the nations of the world redeemed through Christ coming back to the tree of life at long last because sin's been, sin's been dealt with. And now they're coming to be satisfied by the tree. And we read that there's, there's fruit year round, which is kind of cool. And of course, the 12 brings back images of the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes, right? And the 12 uh, sons of Judah and all of that stuff. But then we read, which is really neat, that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And there's almost this sense that um, in the new creation, as the nations are coming in, there's still work to be done. Like there's still some stuff. There's still some healing to go on. Um, sometimes we can think about sort of this end picture as sort of it's like a plateau. Like we've reached the end and there's kind of nowhere else to go. It's just sort of this static image of us and God and new creation. But you almost get the sense here that as these nations are coming, um, they're coming for, for sort of further healing from God. And, uh, I mean, of course, it speaks to God's heart of wanting to heal and his healing. Of course, in chapter 21, we get, you know, he's wiping the tears from our eyes. Um, death and the pain and the, and the wounding of life will be no more. But then there's this call to almost healing, not further healing necessarily, but there's just this call to healing. The nations are being healed and, and just this idea of God's love and abundant grace and his stewardship sort of going out to make things well. And I just love this image of the nations coming in um, uniquely themselves. It's not like they've lost their identity, um, but they're coming in and then there's, there's healing to be done. There's healing work to be done as they come to sort of the wellspring of God's life and this river flowing from uh, from God's throne out into the new world. I just think that's so cool, the healing of the nations. Um, where so often in the Bible, right, the nations have been the source of rebellion and evil. There's just been issues between God's people and the nations and nations judging other nations. And don't don't mix with those nations. Then in Revelation itself, the nations are just a mess. And But here, the nations are finally being healed. It's just this really great picture of God uh, bringing things together, bringing his restoration. It's just this beautiful picture. But this whole idea of the river flowing out of the temple, if you, if you know your Bibles, or, and, and I don't, I, it's not like my mind immediately goes here. I need to be reminded of it myself. But uh, if you were familiar with the Jewish Bible, with, with Israel's scriptures, this idea of the water flowing from the temple uh, is a direct image right out of Ezekiel. And so I just want to talk a little bit about Ezekiel and what's going on in there because it, it tells us how to read Revelation well. Uh, Ezekiel uh, was, a, was a prophet in, in Israel's history. He was alive during uh, Babylon's first attack on Jerusalem. You can read about that in 2 Kings. Babylon took a wave of, of exiles back to Babylon. They took a bunch of the Jewish people with them back to Babylon and Ezekiel was among those people. And while Ezekiel is, uh, is sitting on the banks of the river mourning the fact that uh, it's his 30th birthday and he would have been ordained a priest and, and he's now living in this Israel refugee camp in Babylon, he has this vision of God's glory in Babylon. And there's sort of this shock of like, what's God doing in Babylon? He's supposed to be over in Israel. 
and and God commissions Ezekiel as a prophet to bring a word of judgment to Israel, saying, "Listen, because of our idolatry, because of our brokenness, because we force we." We, uh, we'd forsaken the covenant we made with God. Our exile is totally justified. We were worshiping false gods. Our nation was a mess. And this is the, the exile's result of God bringing a just punishment against us because we totally broke our word against him. Not only that, but Ezekiel has this image of God's glory abandoning the temple because of Israel's idolatry. And now God's glory is showing up over in Babylon. And the story goes on that God promises through Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to raise up a new king, and the Israel that will follow him will be like a new Israel, and God's spirit is going to bring his people back to life. This is where you get the Valley of Dry Bones uh, story. And, and as you've got the bones lying in the valley, and then God's spirit breathing on them, which should, should remind us of Genesis 1 and 2, right? You've got people made of dirt and then God's spirit breathing on them and bringing them back to life. So Ezekiel says uh, God's going to bring about a new creation act through his breath, through Israel, through the king. And out of that, he's going to give his people new hearts to love and obey God. And it's this picture that looks ahead to what Jesus does on the cross for us. That Jesus you know, fills us afresh with the Holy Spirit makes a new heart in us so we can believe and follow and obey God, right? It's about becoming a new people uh, unto God, and, and God accomplishes that through Jesus. But Ezekiel's vision doesn't end just with a new people being made. He has this vision of a temple and God's presence filling that temple, which is kind of going back to God's presence leaving the temple at the beginning of Ezekiel. And then he has this vision of a stream of water flowing out of the Holy Holies down the steps of the temple. And the stream in Ezekiel's vision flows out from the temple and out of the city, and it starts to become this river, and it starts to irrigate the whole countryside. And as the river flows, trees start springing up, and life starts returning to the country, returning to the world. And finally, in Ezekiel's vision, the water flows into the kind of the most kind of the deadest, worst area, right, which is the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea Valley. And the river of life that flows from the temple of God actually flows into the Dead Sea and transforms it into a life-giving sea. And that's all kind of part of Ezekiel's vision of, of God's spirit and God's abundant life flowing out of the temple, transforming the sea. And in Ezekiel, he sees fruit trees on either side of the river and it says in that passage as well that the food and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And then, it, and so, so it, it ends, Ezekiel ends with this vision, not only that God's going to restore his people somehow through a new king, right? And that, that's just sort of left there, and then it's picked up by Jesus uh, in just sort of the stunning, really compelling way. But also this idea that eventually God's going to come back to his temple. God's temple presence is going to come back somehow. And again, the early Christians knew that was, that was done through Jesus, but that God's presence is going to flow out and start to redeem and restore his world, and that the nations are going to be healed through God's life-giving presence. And so Ezekiel ends with kind of this cosmic vision of God restoring the world. And then you get to John 21, John 21 or Revelation 21, 22, and John is John saying, here it is. Here's Ezekiel's vision come to life at long last. And in, whereas in Ezekiel, 
right, the, the image of the river flowing from the temple makes sense. He would have only understood God's presence is living in the temple. John's saying, actually, it's now the temple's gone because this whole place has become the holy of holies. The whole place has become a temple. But what does he say? The, the river's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And often in the Old Testament, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies is thought of as Yahweh's throne. So it's the same sort of image of the rivers flowing from the throne of God, even in Ezekiel. But now here in Revelation, it's flowing from the throne of God. And it's coming to heal and bring life to the people as the nations come in. But it's also flowing out. I almost get this impression that's flowing out of the city into the wider country of God's new creation. And people are coming to be healed and be restored to life. And so not only do we get the tree of life from the Garden of Eden, from Genesis, but we're also getting the, the water flowing from the throne of God, which is right out of Ezekiel. And now we're seeing people brought in, healed. And I love this verse, verse 4, 22, verse 4. They will see his face. Of course, that brings you back to Moses and Mount Sinai and how you can't see my face and live. Right? I'll just show you my back. But now you get to see God's face. Right? Now you'll see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Right? In a reversal of the mark of the beast, his name's on their foreheads. And that goes back to, to the Shema, where you write, write the prayer on your forehead. Literally, some did it literally. Most did it figuratively. This idea that we are marked and held and protected by God, and we're healed by him not just individually, but there's this sort of cosmic vision of God redeeming and restoring all of creation. It's this, it's, this amazing, it's this amazing vision of what God plans to do and will do for his world in his time. And it's this vision that we can look forward to and live towards here and now as we look forward to what God wants to do, that God is bringing bringing the bride and the lamb together. He's bringing heaven and earth together. And here he's bringing the garden and the city together in this new creation. And that's the last vision of the future that we kind of get. It's just it's this awesome, awesome image. It's just packed with all of this uh, imagery and language from Israel scriptures, Ezekiel and, and Eden and all the rest are sort of just packed together in there. And then from verse 6 to the end is sort of a call that Jesus is coming. Like, this is, this is coming. This is happening. And there's a call for us to sort of stay awake, to stay uh, aware that he's coming soon, to keep the words, to, to know that he will be arriving. And also, it's almost this invitation of God inviting those uh, to come into new abundant life, to realize that this is, this is true and this is happening. And I love uh, the last two verses of the book, not just of Revelation, but of the whole Bible, right? Of this whole epic story, this true story. Uh, Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. And John ends with, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then turns around and says something to the readers. Right? He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And it's this reminder that the, the book, Revelation itself, is written to real people in a real place. It's a letter at the end of the day. It's a letter. And so Jesus says, I'm coming. John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Make it so. Make it so. Come and do it. And then turns to the, the
the regular, ordinary, daily people like you and me, and says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And I love this idea of, of John just extending grace to live today for Jesus as we await for his return. Grace to live in the love of God as we look forward to him coming. It's not, it's not a call to, you know, be, be full of condemnation for your sin. No, it's grace. The last word is grace. Grace to live out the salvation of Jesus. Grace to live by the Spirit here and now today as we look forward to his coming. And that's the call that, that I want to end for us as we finish up this whole series is there's a call for us to live with grace for today as we point others to Jesus. As we look ahead to what Jesus promises to do, as we live our faith uh, waiting for the king to come and waiting to live in that kingdom where, where we will be fully healed and fully made whole and resurrected and redeemed, we are called as God's image bearers here and now to live out his grace and, and to allow his grace to shape and transform us so that as we go about our, our daily lives, we extend that grace to others and point people to Jesus who is coming soon. And so grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. It's this call to live into our true identity of who we are in Jesus. We are, we are transformed and redeemed by his amazing grace. That's what we rest in, the grace of Jesus be with you all. And there's a call for us to live out the task of being a grace-filled person here and now, again, as we look forward to his return. I wanted to end with this, this awesome uh, picture, this quote of the task of us as image bearers, as grace-filled people. This is from N.T. Wright's book called The Challenge of Jesus. And he says this, and I think it captures well this idea to live today for Christ as we look forward to his return. He says, our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. What you do in the present, grace for today, right? Grace for today. What you do in the present by painting, by preaching, in your singing, in your sewing, in your praying, in your teaching, in your building hospitals, or digging wells, or campaigning for justice, as you're writing poems, as you're caring for the needy, as you're loving your neighbor as yourself, what you do in the present will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly or a little more bearable until the day when we can leave it all behind. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. We're called here and now to live out the grace of the Lord Jesus in how we engage with our world and how we build our marriages and how we raise our children and how you go about your work life to live out now as image bearers of God, the grace of Jesus, and there extend his kingdom 
to those who need to hear it, to a world that is broken and lost as we await his return. And so as we finish Revelation, I would say let's choose to live for Christ. Let's choose to embrace that grace of Jesus for today as we welcome his return. So we say amen, come Lord Jesus. And as we come to this table today, we have a little bit of a communion service. We're going to walk through that proclaims the gospel and celebrates God's forgiveness and celebrates his salvation. And as we proclaim our faith and come to this table, we're saying this is what forms us. This is what shapes us. The grace of God in our lives as we look forward to that day when he will come again. Let's live with grace in such a time as this. Let's pray together. Donna, or whoever wanted to come and help me with this, I think Donna usually does. There you are, Donna. Didn't know where you were. Peer out there. Uh, if you can get that ready. Let's pray as we come to the table. And uh, I think we've got some slides as well with, with uh, the communion service. There's also sheets of paper uh, that were at the front table there when we came in. But let's, uh, let's turn in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we just pray as we uh, remember the words of the gospel, as we declare our faith and our forgiveness in you, Jesus, we say, come, Lord, come with your grace for today. Lord, come and, and rejuvenate our lives so that we can live for you in such a time as this. Lord, we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to come as we celebrate this meal. And Jesus, we pray that you would open our hearts to what you would want to do in us and through us as we celebrate you. We ask this in your name. Amen.